Welcome to the Bards FM podcast, part two, with the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And this is part two tonight on this evening of December 23rd on the West Coast, near 2022. On the East Coast, you're now into Christmas Eve officially. And this is, again, part two of the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings. It's a very special interview, and I think you're going to enjoy this as much as the first, with a lot of deep insight and reflection that sets, quite frankly, the entire theme for what's coming with the Christmas special. Now, Patriots, I'll just tell you, I've just spent some time going through some of the clips, and which will air tomorrow night, obviously. I am telling you. The talent that we have and the stories that are there and the passion that was put into this year's Christmas special, I was having a hard time getting ready because I was already in tears over a couple of them. Really amazing. So it's a beautiful special. I'm excited to be putting it together, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it an amazing and have an amazing time tomorrow night. But before then, we have tonight's second part, and of course, we've got to have a conversation, first of all, with one of our favorite sponsors. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to itargetpro.com. With the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. Oh, yeah, that's a nice little Santa gift right there or New Year's gift or something like that. It's a great piece. So, Patriots, again, another great conversation tonight with Pastor Brad Cummings, good friend of mine, and we always have great discussion and great dialogues. So I'm anxious to bring this to you, so let's jump right in. Part two of the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings. This is amazing. Your work matters. And it matters in eternity. I don't know if you remember the, the the movie Gladiator. Oh, yes. When Maximus, they're about to go into battle, and he's got all his special forces dudes up on the hill, and they says, what you do today echoes in the halls of eternity. I just love that line because it's true. What you do today echoes in the halls of eternity. Don't waste it. Don't spend your time doing something that he hasn't called you to do. It's like, God, please spare me from the dead ends of indifference. It's an interesting segue into tying in both fear and 
there's a continued focus on trying to predict a future. Some of that takes the form of revelation. Some of that takes the form of research and anticipation. Arguably, one could look at this and say that so much of that drive to live in the tomorrow rather than being focused in the here and now is one, a lack of trust in the relationship that we do have a purpose and what that divine purpose is because we lack the intimacy with Father. And with that, I'm always going to throw in that extra word, which is fear, because in the fear of not knowing that, we want to race ahead to anticipate where things are going to be, including like what I call the revelationist type calendar counters, which looking at all the events to try to make sense of everything rather than just living in the moment and in the purpose that God has for us. Yeah, you know, I there's there's an incredible verse in First Peter. It talks about looking for and hastening the day of the Lord. And you're just going like, excuse me, <laughs> hastening? Are you serious? That that because of the way I live, because my holy conduct and character, I can actually affect the return date of Jesus. That is what that verse is saying. Look it up, read the whole context. But I find it one of those extraordinary verses in all the Bible because it really says how you and I live will affect the return date of Jesus. And it's like, I didn't think I was that powerful. <laughs> but but we are. Because God's not, God doesn't have a date on the calendar that he's bending all things to. He is looking for the condition of people, and he's going to return for a bride who's made herself ready. So all the people that are doing all their charts and they're looking at the, is this the mark of the beast? And it's all this other stuff. I end up going like, I look at one thing, the condition of the church. And is she aware that she is a cherished bride that has a heavenly bridegroom that is desiring to return for her. And I would have to say, traipsing through an awful lot of the church, and I know an awful lot of the body of Christ, the, the whole zoo, I would say we're in no danger of his imminent return because <laughs> the church does not have a mindset that it is a cherished bride. They're going, like, what? They don't, they don't know God is a heavenly bridegroom who's absolutely in love with her. And and because of that, they're running around anxious and they're 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 afraid. And I think everyone's kind of got this standard sort of rapture theology that can't wait for the bus to come and rescue us. And I'm going like, serious? You think that's how this thing's going to get wrapped up? God of the universe that's created everything. There's not a single thing he's going to fight that's a fair fight. He's he, he's going to outrank, outpunch, out everything, everybody. And somehow he's going like, well. That devil, he sure was good. I better go snatch my kids out of the fire and, and, and rescue them because it's all going to just be so bad. And you're just going like, I don't think you know him. I don't think you understand him. And I don't think you understand yourself and what we're supposed to do. So I don't really believe that we're anywhere near close to the end. We might be in that place where in Matthew it talks about the birth pangs. You know, there's certainly things that are happening on the earth that have never happened at the level that we're seeing. 
the whole world does seem to be at one. It was like we're sort of in this journey together. And so it's like, wow, where is this headed? If, if, if we read the book of Revelation just for ourselves and not for what everyone has already preconditioned us to understand it, you would recognize there is a group of people that stay on the earth the entire time. There's some that are martyred. There's some that are that, 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 that are removed. But there's a group that stays there the entire time. And those are the ones that know the song of the Lamb, and they follow him wherever he goes. And they're the ones who are bringing things to pass. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Why? Because he has agents advancing that kingdom that are triumphing over all the works of the evil one. And they're establishing the kingdom. And contrary to most people's thoughts, we're not going to go to heaven. Heaven will ultimately come down and make its dwelling place here. So I end up going, why is everyone trying to leave? Why are you not taking care of this place like it was your home? And it will eternally be so. And, and, and how did you miss that when you read the book of Revelation, unless it was taught to you as if somehow, oh, no, I have some golden mansion up in the sky. It's like, no, no, the new heavens and the new earth will be domiciled here where we are. God's not giving up his territory. He isn't, he isn't abandoning it. The whole occupy until I return, what was unclear about that? What's unclear, I think, for so many is they've never studied war. The Bible, for me, is a manual of warfare. And it's a histories of war and conflict and overcoming. And one of the central pieces to the scripture for me is adaptability. This is very interesting as I've been digging into this. As you know, I just talked to you about it early this morning. This direction I'm going to kind of push into 2023, which is adaptability. We actually stood up a unit, I say we, I, AWG, Asymmetric Warfare Group, which was a special missions unit, actually stood up a unit called Adaptability, run by a very good friend of mine. And I, I gave some input in it. I wasn't on that team. But as we all worked on many different projects, we would influence some of that. Because adaptability is one of the big issues for any army. What tends to happen is people train for a specific battle or a specific type of warfare. And as historically, as we look at war and conflict, what we learn is we end up with these stalemates and then there's some change that happens ultimately that redefines the entire way and the battle space and how we function in war. And that can be shown over and over. Mm. And these big significant changes that either happen in the war or as an outcome of it, then redefine what warfare looks like. This is where you start to hear things like, you know, most recently, like the sixth generation bomber, the B-21, which was you know, like this next great iteration of technology and advancement. This is, this is all coming out of a reassessment of what warfare is looking like. Network warfare, uh, informational warfare, where we're getting into spaces now. The, the Russians actually were the lead element in redefining how to use informational warfare which the, with the invasion of Chechnya back, I don't know, 20 years ago. And they were cutting edge in what they were doing. 
the Russians in the current conflict in whatever form the reality of that is have been using drones in new ways and capacities that have started to create even sentry drones where they literally fly the drones up in swarms and they are monitoring and ready to be in place and react to incoming threats. So we're seeing war evolve. Well, the Bible teaches that we see that if we look at it through this lens. And I, the reason I'm bringing all this up is what you have been talking about in all of this. When we become fixated on a specific outcome, we become vulnerable to an enemy that is highly adaptive and is looking to waylay us at every turn. And we are no longer listening to God, but instead we're listening to our heart of our own or our mind of our own and many times reacting in fear or anxiety to try to anticipate what an enemy is going to do that quite frankly is far superior to us. Well, my mind is actually kind of having a hand grenade blow up at the moment because I'm going like, you know what? War, and I've heard this, I'm not a soldier. Like I haven't been an actual battle. Um, not at least physical battle. So I don't I don't know this, but I've been told that all the best laid plans of war, they go right out the window once the war begins. Correct. And all you have is the adaptability according to your understanding of the mission. And if it's live fire moment, you don't really have time to keep checking back with the general. Sir, sir, are we still doing chapter one versus, you know, verses three to five? Is that, is that that's what's happening? And it's like we have the, the, the church is out here with this whole triptych. Like it's figured it out. This is this is what happens. This is the order of it all. And it's like we're, we're here. And then the next thing is here. And then they're, they're all kind of like in the fog of war because they're looking at their verses and it's not happening like they think. And all they're doing is confessing verses. And I'm going like, you're not actually aware of the mission. You're not in touch with the commander. And you don't have enough of an understanding of what's supposed to do to be adaptive and to think on your feet. Because I'm going like, I'm pretty sure God has not micromanaged the entire future of every last little thing as if this is a rerun. But people act like it is. I mean, th th we have such a fatalistic view of the end times. It's just, oh, that's when the bus is supposed to come. Then we're all supposed to get on the bus. And then the next team comes out and they do their thing. And then and it's like we have it all figured out. I'm going like, I don't think that's what, what John was shown. I think John was shown a panoramic vision to be interpreted and understood under the mission of of what is the end time about? What is the book of Revelation about? Is it about events or is it the unveiling of a person? And I would I would venture to say it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not called the triptych in order of end time events. It is the unveiling of a person. And I'm supposed to understand all of creation is moving towards that unveiling and the more clear seeing from out of the fog into the sight-to-sight -sight revelation that all of this is unto him, it's by him, it's for him to reveal him. It is his story. That's not just a cute little phrase. 
And if I recognize what's going on, then my job in this as a made in the image of God human, you could read, you could, you could change that made to image God. I'm like a mirror that if my face is fixed on him, then what the world's supposed to see is the outshining of his presence. Why does the world not see that? Because there's very few people that are looking at him in such a way that they're shining his presence through their life, what they say and what they do. But that's 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 my role in this. I Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. That's a purpose statement. Is your life now in his life? That's called being a Christian. If your life is in his life, then take on his purpose statement. Your job is to destroy the works of the devil. I have come that you might have life. Another purpose statement. If your life is hid in him, and it's now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, then are you an agent of life to others? I am. I am in just about every conversation I have with people. Because why? Because that's a purpose statement. That's his purpose in me. I'm not going to get distracted. I've got a job to do. I'm going to do it with all that's within me. Why? Because I know that my life matters. I know that it affects the return date of the king. My job, one of my purposes, is to make ready that bride of Christ. I'm given as a gift to the body of people to help get her ready for her day. That day is an epoch of time. And so I'm trying to waken people to the love of God, waken them to their affections of the fact that he is so for you. He, he can't wait to talk to you. He can't wait to engage with you. And he is going to empower you to change the world around you. I'm going to live my life unto that purpose. I met him as a little boy and I saw him. I wasn't converted to a set of ethics. I, I, I wasn't given a body of behavior. I was converted to a person. And so one of the things I'm anointed and want to do is to, to develop simple friendship with God. I don't get all the name brands of Christianity. I don't like the institutions. God didn't come to establish an institution. An institution is for crazy people. Okay? <laughs> I don't think that's the point. He wants to have a body that's knitted together. It has to be in relationship. We're supposed to be living stones set together as a dwelling place. So I don't get to do this by myself. I have to be in relationship. And I'm meant to be in a life-giving relationship. Every single person is gifted. There's not a one that's not. And there's not a one that has all the gifts. And so the reality is we need each other. We got we to gotta figure that out. So as we do that, we're going to be a battle platoon that advances the kingdom. And God's going to be the one that's directing each and every little heart to do its part. And we're going to win. We are going to win. Oh, and there's no doubt about that. I think the, where people get stumbled on on this in the sense of adaptability and why I think it's such a critical term or concept is that there isn't a fixed plan that's ahead of you. 
So you really have to start doing the assessment and you, you hit a couple of them. What's, what's the purpose of your mission when you get to that? And one of those is to pursue and defeat decisively the enemy. There's no question about that, that that's part of our fight here and to engage him ruthlessly with the powers and tools that we have. Those sorts of terms make people often feel uneasy because you're like, I don't want to engage. I'm not going to engage people ruthlessly. I might hurt them. I'm going to crush the devil when I encounter him and his spirit. <laughs> I just will be clear about this. And I have no problem saying it. And I'll waylay it. And if I can throat stomp him, I'm going to do that too, because that's just my mission. And if I, you know, and so the next part is the self-sacrifice that often happens. Patton, probably one of the most famous speeches, I'm not going to say it exactly, but essentially don't go die for your country. Make the other poor son of a gun die for his. Because what's the point of that? I mean, people like, I'm going to die for my country. You know, you're off the battlefield. Now you're, you've sacrificed yourself and now we're one man or woman down. So the principle is to understand adaptability because in this fight, there is this very linear concept. It's like, okay, I'm here. God's going to give me instructions. I'm going to go here. Well, I'm going to give you a quick story that I think is very, very relevant. It's very real from war. So my film was based, the first film I've done was based on Princess Patricia's Light Infantry, which is PPCLI um, up in Canada. And their commander was Lieutenant Colonel Ian Hope. Now, he engaged ruthlessly in an area, extreme hotbed in central or in southern Afghanistan from Panjway province all the way over to Helmand. And in a span of 10 days, which is what that film is based on, which continued on for another two weeks after I departed from them, they engaged ruthlessly. And I think in some, they ended up with something like five casualties, maybe six, very few. And the reason for that was that Colonel Hope's own, in his own words, and he and I spoke at length afterwards, was that he had squads. Squads is your smallest unit. His squad leaders were his trusted agents. He said, I don't need to tell them what to do. I need to give them a plan to understand where our objectives are. And then I need to trust in them to do their job. They will adapt to the situation that I cannot see. Yep. And they will function and they will succeed because I've trained them to be good at what they do. I've overseen that training. They are trained to execute. Okay. And that worked brilliantly that's the strategy of what made us work in world war ii because our captains which we refer to more as battle captains had the power to take the concepts that were being put out by the high strategic commands and implement them on the ground and people didn't want to micromanage them to tell them what to do now let's look what happens in the following operation that was operation mountain thrust that occurred in july of 20 of 2006 a two months later was Operation Medusa, which occurred in the same region in September of 2006. I was up in Jalalabad. I got a call from the colonel. He says, I need you down here. He says, I think we're going to lose Kandahar. I'm like, that's mm. kind of big, right? Considering we had just regained control from, from Kandahar all the way over to Hillman province. We're now in a process of losing it. What had happened? The Canadians were in control of Kandahar province under Colonel Ian Hope. They did a brilliant job in the follow on commander 
who came from an, a Quebec French old regimental framework, his model for command and control was that he would control everything and micromanage it down to the nth degree. This is what happened. They went into Hillman province. They all needed the superior command's authority to do anything. Canada went in with effectively 100% operational capability. And in 10 days, which is when I got the call, Canada was now at less than 30% operational effectiveness. That means that their unit was destroyed, is what that translates to. Mm. They had a good buddy of mine was the medic on site for administering a lot of mass cash that had happened by friendly fire incidents. The Canadians were in complete chaos. It's not that they were bad soldiers. It's that their command sucked. And their command didn't trust the soldier to do his job. If we look at the enemy in which we're facing, there's something very interesting, and we're not appreciating this. We are given empowered and empowered to adapt. It all goes back to where we started this, to trust in him and to pursue that with a trust in him, knowing that he's not. we're not going to get smacked down by God. We're going to be raised up. We might be rebuked a little bit once in a while if we go too far off the edge, but nonetheless, he's there to trust us to win. But if we really are honest about our enemy, our enemy is not flexible. They're not adaptable. They follow a direct line of command. They have to follow regimented ways of ritual. They have to use certain hand signs. They have to do certain things that if they do, don't do them, they don't get the power of their fake little, little L Lord. So in that process, we're facing an enemy that is far lesser than ourselves, but the enemy has done a brilliant job of information warfare to convince us that he's greater, he's mightier, and here's the best one of them all, the end is already determined. All you guys have to do is sit on the side and wait for Jesus to come back Why I roll you up and crush you because of your foolishness yeah. of not understanding what adaptability is by your God. He's pushed us into a place of disengagement, and I'm going like, what, where in the Bible do we have the God of disengagement? I, I, I just, I, I can't find it anywhere on any page where I'm not supposed to be engaged with him and advancing this. And you're just going like, to, you know, the, the whole Q thing that got me so frustrated was trust the plan. What the hell is the plan? How do I trust something I don't know? Right. I, I'm sorry. Sit back and enjoy the popcorn. No, that's a scary music. That's a scary movie. I don't. I don't want to sit back and not know what the world's going on and not be a part of affecting the outcome. I'm not going to sit back and I'm not just going to watch. And that's one of the first things that when when I become aware of it, I, I sit there like, wait a minute, this is interesting. But this is not God. God does not tell me to sit on the sidelines ever. Right. Ever. So whatever's going on here, whether it's a, a miscommunication in the message, the application of it's completely wrong. You, you mentioned the whole thing of in war and, and our captains. You know, the storming of um, the beaches of Normandy, D-Day. Yes. My gosh, was that ever a bloodbath? And you're just going like you got the Germans up in the towers and the high ground with massive machine guns just making just mincemeat. Of the soldiers, how in the world did 
our guys ultimately prevail. They, I mean, it's like, my gosh, they, they should not have won that. How did they? It's exactly what you mentioned. It was the captains. It's like all of a sudden, all the best laid plans were right out the door. Total mess. Nothing but, you know, try to survive and not get shot. But they knew the mission and they regrouped into tiny little teams. They had no communication from any front. No one was actively telling them what to do. They all had to know their mission and they had to figure it out. How did they take out the other turrets? Because the Germans were sitting and they were constantly relaying back to Berlin. What's our orders? What's our orders? What's our orders? And in their delay waiting for the directives, they did not think on their feet. They weren't adaptable and they were over. They were ultimately overcome because they were not free to operate with the understanding that they had. That, that is so profound to me. I'm going like, that's one of the most amazing lessons out of war to realize we're in that same battle. Do you know what you're for? Do you know your gifts? Are you armed and ready? And can you work with others to accomplish the mission at hand? And guess what? You have authority. Go and do it in God's name. But, well, but what, what's, what's, what's the specific orders? I don't know. Figure it out. You do know the big deal. So if you look at the work of the devil that is in front of you, destroy it. Stop it. Take authority over it. Free the captives. Heal the sick. Anyone who's blind, give them sight. Anyone who's dying, give them life. You have supernatural resources that you're meant to be a conduit of. Think on your feet as an empowered son and daughter of the Most High. But we, we forgot who we are. And it's like you're, you, you're allowed to think on your feet with the commissioned authority. God's back going like, check them out. Look at that. He's the Lord of hosts. That's armies. He has, he's the Lord over the, the, the heavenly army, and he's Lord over this earthly one, us. He will be directing both levels. As I advance, he'll be releasing angelic warriors. I actually, you and I have authority to invite them into the fray. They're, they're supposed to be heirs. They're supposed to be ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. The angelic realm is there to help us in the fight. We are outranking the enemy two to one. The rebel took a third of the forces. Well, two thirds didn't go with him. So our kingdom has superior forces, superior power, superior wisdom, superior adaptability, superior everything. What's your problem? That's a good, there you go. This will be, this will be your rally speech right there. That's good. You know, I mean, it's got to go in his name. Two thirds of God's name is go, you know, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> It's not you therefore. Well, part of the problem I, when we get into adaptability and we start to talk about the translation of the spiritual to the physical, it does. I think it's easy to get tripped up too. So when we look at this concept of adaptability, and we'll just take a look at it right now, there's a lot of uh, of fear narrative obviously swirling around 
to give us the uncertainty for the future. And that's exactly where adaptability is the greatest and uh, most exciting place to live, is the uncertainty of the future. Because it's where when you begin to anchor yourself in the moment, rather than worry about the outcomes that you can't control, you're able to assess your terrain very realistically as to the areas that you're strong in, the areas that you're weak in. And that takes on a number of different areas. We start to look at the vulnerabilities of the basics of our lives. We've talked about this for almost two and a half years easily, if not three, on the channel, which are the principles of county by county. Where are those weak links that you can fortify in your home? Your spirituality, which is a home church, the schooling of your children or assistant with other children, that's, that's getting children back to homeschooling. The, the principles of food, which is Patriot Gardens, the idea of work, how are you going to sustain and make a living that you can barter and trade or whatever form, that are real skills that are going to be usable without the layers and layers of this corporate nonsense like cubicle warriors. What are you going to do for your health and your wellness so that you don't have to rely on a corporate hospital system? What are you going to do about your knowledge and information so you have resource libraries, you're aware of your environment, and you have an ability to continue to grow those skills? And how are you going to steward and, and con- conserve that which you have to extend that in, in the many different ways you need? You mentioned early on, like, honey, you can live off of a beehive, a family of four for a year. So these are all principles that when we take them in, that's all principles of adaptability. When we add to that skills then, those are skills that we look at and we're looking at this saying, how can I be more effective both in my mission for me and my family and in the mission of the, of the Holy Spirit and Father God? And those are, are then added on. So we have the physical skills. We have all these other pieces that include the things we have to stock up on or at least the tools to make them happen. And then we get into this whole concept of spiritual adaptability, which feeds, feeds right in which is what is my relationship in all of this with Father God? Where is he inclining me to go in my life? And how does that form of what he's asking me to do become my ministry in this war? Not a job, not a task, not, a, not, a, not an obligation. It's your ministry. Your life is a ministry. And when we accept that role, man, everything just opens up. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Like I can be doing this in my job and expand the message and awareness of, of of the greatness of the kingdom. That's, that is literally expanding the kingdom and moving it out to new grounds and subduing the enemy ruthlessly because they can't stop an asymmetric fight. Just to kind of wrap that around, I mean, the principal group that I worked with was by name, asymmetric warfare group. <laughs> the way that we defeat this enemy is not head-on-head linear. It is hitting them from all sides in the many different facets. And that is exactly the army of perfection that God has raised up here. And that's an asymmetric fight by definition. They, it includes musicians. It includes artists. It includes bakers. It includes mechanics. It includes so many different things of people that even like Dr. David Martin mentioned one time, how we have so defined and reified the concept of value that it only means certain things. Well, how do you value philosophy and wisdom and faith? Because all of these things are tools in war. And when we start to look at this as an army, the enemy has no chance. 
It cannot hold its its Tower of Babylon up when there's a thousand different ways that we're hitting it and breaking its foundation. It will eventually collapse. But we have to have the enduring faith and trust that not only are we given divine power in this world, but that God trusts us to use it with him. Yeah, you know, one of the most impactful moments I had with the Lord was an unplanned moment in the middle of uh, my sermon. <laughs> I was talking about, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain, and how, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, so that was that was my target for what I was talking about. In the middle of my message, the Lord just said, I want you to have everyone stand up. I'm like, Lord, I'm not done yet. <laughs> it's like, why do you want me to have them stand up? I'll tell you once you obey. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> it's like, was the sermon that bad that you have to interrupt me? <laughs> so I had everyone stand up. I had no idea why I was telling them to stand up. And he said, have them face the north side. The, the 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 east side, the south, and the west. Have them face the four four walls. Okay, why? And then he said, "Behold, the gates of hell." I mean, what? He said, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." And instantly, he dropped this understanding. Sadly. Our understanding of church is a building, is a service, and a time in which we gather. The enemy has contained us within that self-built prison of our own making. And he is prevailing over us so long as that's my understanding of church. And he just busted down the four walls. And I knew my days in professional ministry were over. <laughs> it's like he had just thrown a hand grenade in the stronghold and busted down the four walls. And I'm going like, no, flipping way. It's like we have the concept of being salt and light. And so we put the salt in the shaker and we just every now and then sprinkle a little bit on the next sermon. And I'm going like... The salt needs to be broken out of the shaker and needs to be spread everywhere because wherever it's not applied, the meat goes rotten. And so we have to be in all aspects of life. There was a thing called um, the Reformation. They had a really crazy idea as a central point of it, the priesthood of all believers. I just go like, wow, I wonder when we'll ever do that. You know, that's such a good idea to reform things. I wonder, you know, the best way to do that, fire all the professional guys. Quit paying them to be Christians because you're not paying anyone else to be a Christian. You know, turn in your paycheck, get a real job, and there's your new outpost. And I just go like, man, if we live this 24-7 as opposed to reducing this down to our term, our time, and our turf, this little single holy hour, you're just going like, those are only valuable in as much as we gather and get instructions from the commander in chief. There's nothing wrong with gathering, but it's like, why are you gathering? 
Oh, because that's what we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and next, you know, the, the service is not sitting there. The service is what happens once you leave there. That's called serving. And 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 we do it. We have to change this whole concept of what's going on. And I, I just end up going like, wow, if we knew that God was in us, that he was for us, that he would fill us up to all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that it, you know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, you're not lacking in any gift. And it's like, really? Well, how would you know? Well, why don't you try it? The giver of all the gifts is dwelling on your inside. The gift is for the one you're giving it to. It's not like a talent that you own. It's like what's needed in that moment. Well, let the Holy Spirit be the provider of that gift in that moment. Do you need deliverance? Let him be the deliverer. Do you need healing? Let him be the healer. Do you need food? Let him be the food giver. Do you need encouragement? Let him be the encourager. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's supernatural or natural. Let God be the life force that's flowing through you to meet the need, and you be the giver of that gift because the gift giver lives in you. That's it. That's it right there. It's it's and a great statement and a great wrap up for a message for this season because I think we look so much to the physical gift and forget the origin of all the gifts, which is him ultimately. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, for Christmas, just a cute idea is his birthday. <laughs> Why are you worried about what you get? <laughs> Why don't you think about, hey, is there something you would like, God? Did anyone ask the question this season? Hey, Jesus, is there something you would like for Christmas? I'll bet you his answer is, yeah, you. <laughs> we'll give that gift. Respond to the giver of all the gifts and recognize he's wanting to activate you right where you are. He's put you there. He knows that. I mean, I, I just end up going like, guess what? There's dudes up in heaven. You get this out of Hebrews 12. There's a great cloud of witnesses looking down upon the earth. And I'm wondering what they're talking about. They're probably like, why do they get to be down there for the finale? Well, you know, it's like, no way you pick them. Wow. Wow. They're looking down going like, whoa, the end time servants of God who are here for the finale to take the field. This is this is the cleanup crew. This is the folks that are going to bring everything into submission for the king. Oh, my gosh. We have to help them. They're interceding on our behalf. They're talking to the angels. Go down, help them. They, they need some they need some work and and. Southern Oregon, they need some help in Los Angeles. They need some time in Philadelphia. That's a city of love. That's that's messed up. We got to go change that place. All of this, they're looking at us going like, whoa, how goofy for them when we're going like, I, I wonder when we get out of here. <laughs> Just go, wow. What? Wow. What, what, a, what an amazing way to frame it, Brad. We, we just... We see ourselves as alone, missing the fact that we're part of the greatest army 
ever assembled. And if we could just get that one message into people's hearts, the purpose of what we do each day transforms by literally seeing the world more and more through his eyes. And what a profound way to see the world, right? Yeah. Best day ever. I, 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 have, I have a shirt that someone gave me. It's like today. Make today your best day ever. I don't, I don't care what you were served at the beginning of it. By the end of it, by the end of that day, live it in such a way that it becomes the best day ever. Because you're fully showing up. You're fully aware that he's the king and that what he says goes. And you're going to be an agent of his that says, Father, what do we get to do today? And my gosh, if, 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 you, if you do that, you're not going to be bored. You're not going to be scared. You're going to be effective. You're going to be bearing much fruit. It's like, you ever watch kids on, you know, as much as I don't like what we've done to Easter, you ever watch kids on Easter when they go on their Easter egg hunt? They're just running around looking for everything. They're so excited. And then the little ones always have somebody helping them out. Like, it's right here. It's right here. Pick this one up. Hello, we're right here. I sort of feel like God's got a whole bunch of angels leading us all around. We've got a tiny little basket. Wonder what my purpose is. Look, right here. Right here. Do, 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 do this one. Pick this one up. Okay? That's what your day could be like if you surrender it to him. Yeah, it's so true. You know? Yeah, it's so true. Well, Brad, we always close with the prayers. Obviously, obviously, another amazing and wonderful conversation with you. How about I start you close? Awesome. Jesus, we're just going to thank you for being here today in just such an amazing way and walking with us in such an, a blessed time. We're truly humbled by the opportunity to be in this time, in this place. And we're just going to open up this prayer today just with the reminder that we that we are the vine and you are the branches and that it is through you that all things are possible. We just need to abide in you and trust in you and at the same time walk with you, not just be subservient to you Mm. in the way that to trust that as we walk, we walk in such a way in the beauty of what you've shown us for us to learn And once in a while, we're going to stumble, but to be empowered in this world with the greatness of what the kingdom gives. Father, we're just deeply honored of just having you as a father. We just pray that for so many that they'll just ask that one thing. Just be my father. Be that father that we all seek and want to guide us, to forgive us, to teach us, to walk with us, to celebrate with us in such an amazing way. And what an amazing time to do just that as we are in season, this season, which is the celebration of the birthday. Let us celebrate that. Let us celebrate that by asking that simple question, Father. What gift would you like? What gift would you like from us? And let our hearts be open to hear Let our humbleness be before us to respond and let us walk beautifully with the celebration of life to embrace this time in this moment in its fullness with all the glory and blessings 
that you give. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Father, thank you. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us. Thank you that you have created us as your handiwork, your craftsmanship, and that you have created works before the foundation of the world and you've laid them out like a little treasure hunt. My purpose, my calling, the, the, the fruit that I'm meant to bear, that I get to discover. God, would you, would you soberly focus us on the reality that what I do today echoes in the halls of eternity? Would you cause us to shift our focus to one that is going like, God, I just want to be pleasing to you. And I want my life to be lived as, a, as an anthem, as, as an act of worship, as a song that rises to heaven, that declares how awesome and wonderful you really are, because I know it. And God, I ask that you would cause us to all bear fruit, because you, you've purposed that. Would you abide in us? And would you help us more effectively and fully abide in you so that life is flowing through the vine? And it's, it's reaching, it's extending, it's providing to everyone else around. Lord, I, 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 as, as Paul prayed a prayer, and I'm going to get the address so that people can look it up for themselves. But in chapter 15, verse 13 of Romans, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My gosh, Lord, would you cause that to explode as truth and revelation in every single person that's listening to this? Would you cause hope to just explode on their insides? Would we see it and see the joy that they can experience and feel because it's true and the peace that it brings? Would you cause your love to displace all the fear, all the what ifs, all the sense of, oh no, we're surrounded. We're not surrounded, they're surrounded. There's more with us than are with them. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are all interceding for this very moment for me and for your work to advance. Would you enable us to have eyes to see? And would that change the way we live? And Lord, I do. I ask that you would fill up every single person listening to this with your Holy Spirit. That they would know the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of God and fill them up to overflowing God. So that they might be a source of life and expressed love in this world. And that will overcome every work of the enemy. He is not more powerful than you. And you dwell in me. Greater is he that's in me 
and he that's in the world. And Lord, I ask, would you cause that to explode on the insides of every person that names you and that they may go in the confidence that you're the God who's with them. Emmanuel, God with us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brad, another fantastic conversation. I wish you and your family the greatest of happiness in this holiday season. Thank you. And to you as well. And and, and for, for the entire audience, I pray that you would crowd out the consumerism that does devour and that you would welcome God in, in a way that it's like, may this Christmas be different than any other Christmas you've ever had. Because somehow God is the center focus and the celebration is about him. It is. It's amazing. Well, my friend, as always, thank you. Blessings to you. And uh, until the next time. Awesome. Patriots, that was Pastor Brad Cummings. Obviously, another great conversation and always just great words from him. And one of these these conversations are just ones that we, he and I have literally two, three, sometimes even five times a week. So it's, it's a real pleasure just to bring them here as we are and as we discuss. This is a time in this year of decisions of how you want to move forward. And I hope that message gets through. We need to choose to walk greatly in him, to see all things as opportunity, to adapt to the, the beautiful gifts that Father has given us that allow this perfect army to completely decimate this evil. We have to cast out timidness. We have to cast out all of these negative emotions of fear and, and anxiety and all these others. And the rest in that beautiful, amazing place of love and the ferocity that love brings through kingdom and the powers a kingdom gives. So take this time this year, make this a Christmas like no other. Choose to extend the hand of love. Choose to extend the hand of forgiveness. Choose to trust in Father for justice. Choose to walk boldly as the warrior that Christ has presented us to be. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Have a very Merry Christmas. Remember, tomorrow night is the Bard's annual Christmas Eve special, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest dead Oh